It's great to be here. Um, as I was collecting myself and, and getting ready for the talk today, um, I just wanted to say that uh, I was overwhelmed with a feeling of gratitude um, for being here. Um, it was three years ago, roughly, that uh, Linda and I first came here. And about a week after coming here, we came to our first service here. And Dave and Ann Bernhardt invited us to their home for dinner. We were newcomers. We didn't know anybody. And that's the kind of love and, um, and, and goodwill uh, that we have in this con- congregation. Um, and since then, I-, I feel so blessed to have made so many loving connections with so many of you here. And I'm just so grateful for our community, for our church, and for all of you. Um, today I'm going to be talking about um, addiction and spirituality. What is addiction? What is spirituality? How do addiction and spirituality interact with each other? Uh, what is the role of awakening and fostering recovery from addiction? And then how can we go about fostering uh, awakening in ourselves? And I'm going to give sort of a simple, a simple but difficult method for that. Um, to start with, uh, we, we often think about addiction as, as that, you know, addiction to alcohol or cocaine or heroin or, or maybe uh, sex addiction or, or shopping or consumerism. But really, if, if we look very carefully at the dynamics of addiction, I think we can see that we all, to some degree, have touched or known addiction in our own lives. What is addiction? In summary, it's, it's behaving uh, in a way for short-term gain that causes long-term pain. It's a compulsive habit. It is a, is a, a compulsive habit where uh, there's a sense of a loss of control, and where there's um, an action in some way that is either gratifying or relief-seeking that in some ways either is not helpful or causes harm. So I'd ask you to think about that in terms of your own lives. Have you ever struggled with any bad habits or compulsive behaviors uh, in an effort to feel better that in some way were unhelpful? It could be compulsively purchasing things or or maybe judging other people, perhaps, or um, maybe gossiping, or um, perhaps uh, compulsively seeking uh, the approval of, of other people in a way that sacrifices your, your own well-being in the long run. So I think if we think about addiction as a spectrum disorder uh, that lies in a con- continuum of compulsion, a continuum of impaired control, and a continuum of harm or lack of help, help, helpfulness to ourselves or others, I think we can see that really this, this subtle dynamic of addiction can be quite pervasive uh, and, and really is a part of our daily life. So I, I see addiction really as, as ultimately not acting in accordance with the principle of love uh, and, and, and in that way uh, causing ourselves or others harm. Um, I see addiction as a manifestation of ego consciousness. You know, the ego is a great thing. If it weren't for the ego, we wouldn't have civilization and society. But with the development of the ego about 10,000 years ago, we developed a separation uh, as we went into our heads and into our thinking minds. We went into a separation from our oneness and our connectedness with reality. And with that separation came discontent and isolation and loneliness and really, uh, the, this striving with this continuous sort of sense of unsatisfactoriness, 
that really uh, compulsive ego-based behaviors uh, are, are aimed at trying to feel good and not feel bad, to seek gratification uh, I- instead of uh, fulfillment. So what is spirituality? If that's addiction, what is spirituality and how do the two relate to each other? I like to think of spirituality as having a loving and harmonious connection and relationship with reality. Um, I like to think of it as being a state where there's a coherence between what we experience, which is a sense of oneness and connectedness, and what we understand, which is that this universe is, is, is really filled with love, and then our behavior. So a connection, which is love-based behavior. So what is the coherence in which we experience our oneness and our connectedness, and then how do our understandings and our behavior fit into a coherent and harmonious whole in terms of how we live our lives and how we experience this gift of existence. So given spirituality uh, in that definition, in the definition of addiction, how do the two relate to each other? Well, in some ways, addiction can be thought of as um, a a diseased spiritual quest. Um, I like to think of, um, of, of addiction as a quest of the ego for that which transcends the ego. A quest of the ego for that which transcends the ego. What does that mean? Well, in spirituality, we have this yearning as human beings for a passionate primary organizing principle, a principle that gives order and meaning to our lives. And that principle, some think of as God. I personally think of as love, the principle of love. And there's this desire in spirituality for something more, uh, an experience of passion, of ecstasy, a sense of union and connection, a sense of what uh, the Greeks called eudaimonia, or a feeling of equanimity and peaceful well-being. We all yearn for that. And spirituality then becomes a mediator for the inevitable pains and distresses of life. It creates a crucible in which we can hold and contain the pain and difficulties and distresses. And and it creates a framework for processing and metabolizing the inevitable distresses of of our human existence. And spirituality serves as a method for living. It gives a method and a meaning and a purpose to our lives. Well, let's look at this. We have a primary organizing principle. We have this yearning for something more. We have this mediator for pain. And we have this method for living. Well, what about addiction? If you look at addiction, that addictive object, that addictive goal, becomes the primary organizing principle. So the addiction supplants love or God. The desire for something more, that sense of ecstasy and union, is uh, substituted with the experience of euphoria or relaxation or intensity that the objective, addictive object gives you. So rather than fulfillment, there's a substitution of fulfillment with gratification. And then addiction then becomes a mediator of pain. Most people who fall into the trap of addiction do so because they are in pain and they're trying to feel better. And in part of that pain is an existential spiritual pain that's born by the fact that we have ego consciousness. And if you lack purpose and meaning, all you need is an addiction to give you purpose and meaning because that addictive object is going to give you purpose and meaning. Your whole life will revolve around the cravings to get high, the working to get high, the getting high, 
the recovering from getting high. And you will have, if you didn't have purpose and meaning before, the addiction will give you that. So in, if we think about it, now addiction can be thought of in many ways, and spirituality and addiction is just one way to think about them. But if you think about them that way, you can see that in a way, addiction is a form of idolatry. The object of addiction becomes a substitute for a sacred principle or for God, depending on your, your experience of spirituality. That's a form of idolatry. Now, in the Christian tradition, uh, the word spin, if you look at the word sin in the Christian tradition, the word sin is used as a process of moving away in autonomy of self-will away from the will of God. It's a way of, of, of taking onto our own life the management of, of our, our lives and, and, and a lack of a sort of a submission of our lives to a greater principle. And in that way, uh, people who suffer from addiction turn their will and their life over to, uh, in a way, in a kind of a way, to a submission of the goals of the addiction rather than the goals of a universal organizing principle like love. So in that way, addiction can be thought of in a Christian perspective as kind of a form of sin. Uh, I never use that word. I think it, 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 it has a lot of negative and, and con- connotations. And people who suffer from addiction are already experiencing tremendous shame, and we don't want to use that word. But for your own way of thinking about it, if you come from a Christian tradition, that kind of conceptualization makes sense. The other thing, addiction is kind of a form of worship. It's a false worship uh, where one is worshiping the the egoic gratification uh, that the addictive object gives uh, rather than a, a worship of a higher transcendent principle such as love. And also, um, we can then think of people uh, like drug dealers, for example, as false, pro- pro- false prophets because they're offering up the promise of something, a way of living, a way of feeling good and not feeling bad, which in the end is not really helpful. So what happens is that when people fall into addiction, their yearning for connection is replaced with isolation. Their yearning for fulfillment is substituted with gratification. Their yearning for peace is substituted with numbness. Their yearning for humility is substituted with arrogance. Our yearning for interdependence is substituted by pseudo-autonomy. Our yearning for intimacy is substituted by intensity. Our yearning for love is substituted by the object of addiction. Our yearning for joy is substituted by pain. Our yearning for freedom is substituted by enslavement. Our yearning for integrity is substituted by corruption. Our yearning for contribution is substituted instead with consumption. And our other-oriented stance is substituted with profound profound self-centeredness. Now, what's really interesting is that um, if you there's a really important spiritual component to the process of recovery. Many people who have uh, gone from the depths of addiction into recovery have, have we, we say they've hit bottom, right? You've heard that word hit bottom before? When they hit bottom, they do something else that is rarely mentioned but is more important, is that when they hit bottom, they wake up. And there's a very important role for spiritual awakening. And, and, and for all of you, for all of us, as we experience these subtle dynamics or not so subtle dynamics of, of addiction in our lives, there is this role for waking up. What is awakening? 
the, the experience, the phenomenon of awakening, for those of you who experience it, you, you will find this very familiar. But there's two primary characteristics. One, when we wake up, is the sense of incredible openness, a sense of oneness, of unity, of deep connection. There's a transcendence of identity. We are all one. I am one part of something so much greater than myself. And there's an experience of stillness. People who are awakened have less mental chatter. They have a greater capacity to just be and to savor this gift of existence. And what happens is when people wake up, they wake up to the reality that there is a choice. And they wake up to the realization that there is something so much more important than the addictive object as a solution to a way of living. What do they wake up to? We wake up to the realization of the primacy of love. We wake up to the reality that this life, this existence, is incredibly sacred. And people who have had awakening experiences, who have struggled with addiction for years and years and years, will have profound awakenings and they'll just say, I don't want to drink anymore, or I don't want to you know, uh, get high anymore, or I don't want to smoke anymore. That's dumb. It's, it's really remarkable when you see this happening. There's what, what we call a recontextualization of the disease of habit, the diseased habit of addiction. There's a recontextualization where rather than the primary organizing principle being that gratification through the addiction, the primary organizing, organizing principle is love. Because when we wake up, we realize that this awe-inspiring gift of existence is sacred. And we would never do anything to hurt ourselves or others. It's a profound emotional experience. And in my work with patients um, and in my own work it, with myself personally in my spiritual practice, it's about fostering that awakening, that awakening to love. Okay, so I'd like to talk a little bit and give you hopefully what will be helpful to you, sort of a simple practice, not so simple, difficult, simple to do, but a simple practice that can help to foster your own awakening. And I call this the four A's of mindful awakening. Okay, and I hope you can you can get me afterwards. I can write these down for you if you if you forget them. But the four A's are attending appreciating, abstaining, and acting. And when I'm done, I'll sum sum that up into a simple three-step process for those four A's. So let's talk a little bit about those four A's. What does it mean to attend? What it means is to extract awareness from its immersion in sense experience, including thought. It's to be intensely present in this moment, to look very carefully so that we can see and to listen very carefully so that we can hear, and to ask ourselves, what is this? What is this moment? In in attending very carefully, what we cultivate is stillness. We cultivate this capacity for the mind to be still. And then we carry that stillness into our lives, so that as we go through our daily lives, we cultivate the practice of stillness in motion. What are the benefits of attending? When we attend we gain clarity, we see, we get insight. We disidentify from this ego consciousness, this mind chatter that's going on in our brains all the time. We cultivate openness and receptivity. 
And also when we are very, very carefully attending and our mind dies down, we experience calmness and a sense of freedom. And what I find most striking and most amazing about the process of attending and getting still is that we experience a benign, loving nature to the basic essence of consciousness, conscious awareness, that there is a feeling of love, a feeling of wholeness, a feeling of coherence that arises out of stillness that, is, that then serves sort of as a, as a crucible for holding the sense experiences. It serves as a container and a context for experiencing pain, whether it be traumatic pain or the normal pains of being hungry or sleepy or, or lonely or, or whatever other kinds of pains that we experience, even terrible pain, that in attending that, that crucible of still wholeness can hold us and contain us uh, in our pain. Now, the second practice is appreciating. And this is a practice of radical reverence for reality. The, it's an act of humility. It's realizing that this reality, this moment is sacred. And even though our little ego minds want to say, this is bad and this is good and I hate this and I hate that, what we do is we override that kind of ego consciousness with a very humble, humble submission and, 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 and act of reverence for appreciating this moment. When we do that, we override that default neurobiological drive that we all have to suffer. That we all have to suffer. We, we've been built to suffer, and, and, and suffer is a way of surviving. Um, and, and really, when we, when we spiritually engage in this habit of appreciating, we override that. And what it does is when we practice appreciating, we cultivate an attitude of unconventional or radical reverence for this moment. And we also, we dehabituate to the miraculous. If you think about it, look how we take this gift of existence for, for granted. I mean, it's really amazing that we can sit here, the universe, aware of itself, that we can see, that we can hear, that we can feel how amazing it is to be alive. And this cultivation of an attitude of appreciation is really one of really seeing this moment fresh, as if it were the first moment of existence and the last moment of, of existence, and to appreciate this moment with that kind of reverence. When we appreciate, we cultivate gratitude, and we cultivate a sense of harmony and humility and acceptance. Also, appreciation is, is very, very important in, in, in the practice of honoring pain as a sacred messenger. You know, they say that to recover, you need two things to recover from addiction. You need lots of hope and you need lots of pain. And when my patients are in terrible, terrible, quote unquote, terrible pain or in severe pain, so I'm secretly inside celebrating because with hope, that pain can be transformed into recovery. Oftentimes, I think that so much of our suffering in life is because we run from pain. We deny pain. We don't embrace pain. We don't face it. We don't look into the center of our pain to see what we can learn from it. And this practice of appreciating is so important for honoring pain as a sacred messenger. The other thing that appreciating does is it allows, it frees us from grasping and aversion. We, we stop pushing away what can't be pushed away, and we stop grasping for what cannot be had. And that leads to equanimity and a sense of peace. 
Also, appreciation invites self-compassion. If we are in pain, if we are suffering, if our mind is engaged in negative thinking or negative constructs, the act of appreciating cultivates a sense of, oh, that's okay, I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. It it cultivates kindness and loving self-compassion. The other thing that's important in this spiritual practice is to appreciate non-appreciation. If you're not appreciating things, it's important in a meta kind of way to say, you know, oh, I'm not appreciating this moment. Oh, you know, and again, with the softest and a kindness and and a, a humble reverence for this moment. I'd like to talk about the third A. We have attending, appreciating. The third A is abstaining. Abstaining from destructive behavior, including addicting. This requires mindfulness. I talk about the four A's of of abstaining. They are presencing, pausing, processing, and then proceeding. In presencing, we pay attention to this moment. What is going on? So often we impulsively act in destructive ways, and we didn't even know we did it until it's over with. You've all experienced that, haven't you? Where you you just find yourself impulsively acting out. So the practice of presence is so important. The other thing is, is, is that then we, we, we seek out the help and counsel of others. Um, we, we never hurt alone. We never crave alone. We talk it out. We think it out. We write it out. We dream it out. We sleep it out. We get to a place until we are very, very clear on what is the best thing to do. When I, when, when I think about abstaining, I'm continually asking, and I'll get to this, I can actually ask myself, what would love do? And also, what are my ego concerns? What are my, what are my safety concerns? What am I afraid of? Uh, what are my, what are my needs for, 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 for comfort or security? And, and to really honor those ego concerns, but then to ask in the context of those concerns that we honor, to say, there, there, I see that. I see that you're afraid to honor that and, and to, to take care and attend to those egoic needs because they need to be attended to. They're valuable messages. But then to ask, what would love do? What would love do? What would love do? So this is really um, a way of, of, of freeing ourselves from grasping, compulsive grasping and aversion, from non-acceptance of this moment, from controlling behaviors of other people that are disrespectful, from other forms of ego-based manipulation, and from compulsively seeking happiness through sensual gratification or psychological gratification rather than the fulfillment of love. So um, I think that um, the other thing about abstaining that's really important is the, is the idea of renunciation, which has a sort of a bad connotation in our society. What do you mean I have to give something up? But I'd like to invite you to think about renunciation as a process of giving up something for something better. For giving up something, the addiction, the addictive process, the addictive thinking, the addictive object, to give that up for something even better. So renunciation then becomes a gift that you give to yourself. And so that is the practice of abstaining. It's probably the most difficult of all these three, of all these four practices for many people. The fourth practice is, is the practice of acting with love. And in this way, we act our way into awakening. We can contemplate and inspire an attitude of love through attending and appreciating, but we can act our way into the realization of love through the practice of love.
and I, 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 I like for my own spiritual practice to, to sort of pick from a list that I have here and, and pick a practice for the day. So what will my practice be for this day? And I'm going to read these to you slowly um, and, and allow you to reflect on them. And if you'd like, I can get you a copy of these afterwards. Um, but the practices that uh, I've identified, the love practices, are the practice of unconditional acceptance of ourselves and others, the practice of accountability, the practice of affirmation of ourselves and others, assertiveness, authenticity, caution, charity, compassion, contentment, cooperation, courage, devotion, discipline, empathy, endurance, forgiveness, gratitude, helpfulness, hoping for ourselves and others, humility, kindness, nurturing, patience, trustworthiness, and wisdom. So in conclusion, I would just leave you with uh, a summary of these four A's um, uh, of um, attending, appreciating, abstaining, and acting by leaving you with a question, an affirmation, and another question. And these three things, it's question, affirmation, and question, really make up the essence of the process of awakening and freeing ourselves from our addictive processes. The first question is, what is this? What is this moment? What is this? To go through the day and silently look for the truth, not in words, but the truth of what is this moment. And the affirmation is, this is sacred. Moment by moment, the practice of the affirmation of this moment is sacred. And then the third question is, what would love do? So what is this? This moment is sacred. And what would love do? If we practice that over and over again, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, we will foster a gradual awakening of our consciousness, a transcendence of ego consciousness into awakened consciousness, and in that process, free ourselves from these, uh, these addictive processes that we all struggle with as part of being human. Thank you.